In this passage, we see that there's something about Jesus, something about the Christ who was to come, that is a scandal to people. It's going to be cause people to be offended or scandalized. He's called here um, by the Apostle Paul, um, quoting from Isaiah 8 and 28. One who is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And so there's something that was um, looking at Jesus. And even as you think about the very audacity of saying that this man who was on this earth 2,000 years ago is the Lord of all, there's something kind of hard to grasp about, about that. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed is the one who is not scandalized by me. Blessed is the one who's not scandalized by me. Now, there's two types of scandals, we can say, or scandal look from a two different place. There's scandal given and scandal taken. Now, a scandal taken is that which people are scandalized by, but it may not be something in itself that is worthy of that scandal. Scandal given is when something is done wrong that should be a scandal to people. And of course, in, in Jesus' case, it's a scandal taken because it's not that he's truly scandalous or has done anything wrong, um, that he shouldn't be approved or accepted, but people take that. And, and that's true in Jesus' time and it's true today. And when he came into this world, there was a scandal in the obscurity of his birth, that he wasn't born in the palaces of kings, that it was just some remote, remote corner of the Roman Empire, the backwater of the Roman Empire, in an obscure place that this person was born. And that's still kind of the case. That Jesus to say, this person who just born in this nation is now the savior of the world. Can we think that that is really true? That's people will have a hard time with that. We can also look in, in his time, especially the severity of his death. That um, in, in essence, think about it today. If we were to say, a person who had been put into the electric chair and killed was then claimed, proclaimed to be the savior of the world and the Lord of all. It would be very strange. That's kind of what it sounded like to the people. So that's what Paul was saying, the scandal of the cross. And they would have said, if we say, saying we cling to the old rugged cross, they would have been like, what? That makes no sense. We can also see um, the weakness of the ministers that he uses. I mean, I'm often just like, you know, I know myself in ways that nobody else does. I know my weaknesses. I know the failings I've had. And it's like, man, is this like Jesus is going to use me? I mean, it's for me it is, let alone for anybody else. That we we look at this group of people here, and it's a great group of people, and I love you. But it's like to say, this is where the God of the universe is bringing salvation here that I need to submit to. It's kind of like any group would be, it seems audacious. But we also see the conditions of repentance that Jesus calls us to, to leave all. And even as he says, he says it in a very provocative way, hate our father and mother and follow him. You know, leave everything behind, our, our wife, our children, our homes. And say, in comparison to Jesus, it's like he is our first priority. That's what scandalized the rich young ruler because he had many possessions. And he said, leave them all and follow me. And still it is that there's things we hang on to. And when God tries to take them away to train us, we still get upset at that. 
But then also there's the doctrine and the teaching that basically says, takes away from man every boast and gives all the credit to Christ and to the, and to the Lord God. And that is the scandal that is still hard for us and hard for us to come to grips with. And that is the particular scandal that the Apostle Paul deals with here and talks about why is it that the people who were prepared for a thousand plus years to receive this Christ, when he came, totally rejected him. And yet other people who hadn't been prepared at all heard about it and said, yes, it's really like, it's a really surprising thing. They were all looking for it and they stumbled when he came. And that itself was a scandal. So why is it? Well, look at what he says in Romans 9.30. He says, What shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. And there is the explanation. Now, it's interesting as he talks about these works, notice he doesn't say like everything they do is total junk. He had a real appreciation for there was good there that he saw. Look at Romans uh, 10. He says, for I could testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So there is the idea. His desire is to be saved. There's, There's a certain, there's something there to love, he says. But it missed the mark significantly. And indeed, in the most important way. So, he, he sees the good, but yet he says they, they missed it. Because they sought it by works, rather than by grace through faith. So, how does this work out for us? Well, sometimes, and probably this is the most common caricature of works as opposed to grace. Is you have someone who's trying really hard to be good. I mean, they'll do everything they can to try and be the best person they can be. Like Martin Luther, who devoted himself to hours and hours of prayer, got up early, who went to confession, sought to see all his sins, did all the things that he could do, and came to the end and said, this is not going to work. This is not reconciling me to God. But we have to admit that that's not the most common path of works. I mean, most of us are not really trying that hard, right? To be really, really, really good. That's not the most common thing. Most often it is that what we do is we seek to bring down what is required to be good down to our level. And so we base our righteousness on a, something that is not true righteousness. We make our work something that is kind of doable, And so that's what Jesus was dealing with in Matthew chapter 5, for example, when he was talking to them about what the Old Testament required. And he'd say, you know, you guys will come along and you say, hey, the Bible says you shall not kill. So have I killed anybody? Hmm, Check that off the list. I'm good. And he says, and he says, but it's also hatred in our heart. That is the root of murder. And just as opposed to God's law as actually killing person. 
It's not to say that all sins are equally bad, but all sins are equally condemnable in the sight of God. And so he says, in the heart is where it starts. He says, well, have you committed adultery? And it's like, no, haven't done that. Check. He says, well, have you looked at a woman lustfully in your heart? Then you've already committed adultery there. And he goes on to say, you know, have you loved your neighbor? Have you? And he says, well, everybody kind of says, hey, I'm friendly to people I know and like. But he says, but the Heavenly Father's love is one that goes to all people. So can you greet people even that you don't know or even that you may have struggles with? And still show them a face of, of, of love and openness. That's what Jesus challenges us with. And so he, he sets the bar for works back where it should be. And then the result should be that we see we ain't even close. We've all failed. And so that's how the Lord confronts us. <clears throat> but, you know, how do, we, how do we get to a place where we're basing our righteousness on something substandard? Well, we can do it easily by just comparing ourselves to others. I had a friend who taught philosophy in a prison. And one guy that he talked to there had killed two people. And he says, said to him, you know, it's like, man, that's like, you've killed two people. You know, how do you process that? And he turned over the room. That guy killed five, <laughs> you know. So you can always find someone worse. But, so, but we can do that on a basic level, that we could say, you know, we can always find the bad people. And then we make that the basis of our, 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 how we view ourselves. But we also can do it through um, things that are, are religious and things that in some ways can be good. So I was reading 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. I was thinking about spiritual gifts. And, you know, when you look at spiritual gifts, there's definitely churches that put a big emphasis on that. And then it's like, and it almost is like, that's the main thing. It quickly becomes the main thing. And then, and then they forget what Paul, about what Paul says this is the most excellent way, which is the way of love. It can be done in some churches by emphasizing the ceremonies that we do. And by ceremonies, I just mean like the, the things we do in church. Like, that, that's the main thing. I go to church, and I do these things, and they ask me to go to confession, and I do that, and that's, so I've got it down. Um, it can also be done by an emphasis on politics. You know, um, I, I'm doing good because I'm not a Democrat. I'm doing good because I'm not a Republican. You know, and that politics kind of becomes the, the, the main grid through which we view the world. We can also do it through, through doctrine. And this is probably what is probably one of the most common temptations for a Presbyterian church because um, we have a a great statement of doctrine uh, in our Westminster Confession of Faith that's thorough and helpful, and I highly recommend that everybody read it. Um, And it can be very profitable, but it's easy to substitute knowledge for true faith working through love. And it becomes all about knowing stuff and stating stuff. And I can state this clearly. But you can, you can know all the doctrine really well and, and not be a Christian at all. So and that can be a deceit. So we always have to guard on that. All those things. You know, it's important. Politics is important. Doctrine is important. Ceremony is important. Spiritual gifts are important. But we've got to guard against letting these important things lead us to mix, miss the righteousness of faith. It's easy to take pride in something religious. 
It's a great temptation to miss the faith that manifests itself in love. And you think about, and you think about in this nation, like evangelical doctrine stated, you know, with tremendous clarity all over. And yet, um, we, we lived as a nation where we regarded a group of human beings as basically being substandard. Totally contrary to Jesus' basic command to love your neighbor as yourself. We can, it's easy for us to miss these things. We've got to be on our guard. And we've got to, to, to say that when we're talking about the stone of stumbling, that's not just things that other people trip on. But we've got to come back again and again to that which actually makes us better and makes the world better, which is the righteousness of faith, the gift of God, and not what we bring to the table ourselves. And I want to tell you a story that I heard just recently to kind of illustrate this as a transition. So uh, Art Stump and I went to our Presbytery meeting uh, last or two weeks ago. And one of the things we do at Presbytery is we'll take hear from candidates for ministry. So these are people who want to enter into the ministry. And we examine them or we hear from them. And uh, one of the guys, Eric, shared his testimony. So Eric was, you know, he was a good guy. He was, as a young man, he's a teenager. He's doing well. He's having success. He's kind of the, the older brother, you might say, that's, that's kind of doing all the things right. And he met with Ron Lowe from a, a Christian camp that he attended. And Ron asked him, how's your relationship with God? And Eric said, you know, I struggle because I'm not really sure that I'm worthy of heaven. And now Eric said, he said, when I said that, I didn't really believe that. He said, I totally believed I was worthy of heaven, but I wanted to hear Ron Lowe say that I was. And Ron Lowe responded and he says, you're not and you never will be. And he was stunned. And, but all of a sudden, he understood the gospel. That it was not the righteousness of his works, but the righteousness of the works of Jesus Christ received by faith. And that changed his life completely. That is the contrast that we are talking about here. Now, we need to understand the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of works, in, is described in verse 5. It says, the person who does these things will live by them. So we need to understand we say that works, we're, we're talking about we don't believe in the righteousness by works. We're not saying that works are bad or that the law is bad. The ideal thing would be that God would tell us what to do, we would do it, and we'd just be happy together forever. That was the goal. But we've all turned aside from that. The problem with the law is not the law, but in us. The law is spiritual. The law is good. But I'm sold under sin, Paul says in Romans 7. So if we're going to get there, if we're going to have a righteousness, it can't come from ourselves. So how, we, how do we get it? Romans 10 verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. We have to turn from our works unto Christ. And find in him the righteousness that we don't have ourselves. You see, this righteousness is something that is not our own. He describes it as the, those, those who were seeking to establish their righteousness by works were seeking to establish a righteousness that was their own. Um, but this righteousness that we get that, that brings us salvation is not our own. It comes from somewhere else. 
it is described as being a righteousness of God or from God. That, that it is not something we have, but something that God has. And namely in what Christ fulfilled in his death and resurrection and life on earth. But it is also considered a gift. It's from God, but it's given to us. Paul uses the language of Deuteronomy. He says, this is not something we have to go into the heavens to get or go down to the bottom of the sea. It's something that's right here. It's a gift set right in front of you. But then it is received by faith. When we say, yes, I don't have that righteousness in myself and I need it from Jesus. I believe that he died and that he was raised and that he's Lord. And I accept all that. I confess all that. And that is how someone is saved. And that's the payoff. Faith in Christ secures for us all the blessings that the law promised to those who did everything that the law commanded. In other words, if someone just believes in Jesus and accepts him, then they get everything that they would have gotten, and really more, if they had done everything God required of them from the first moment they came into the world to today, all the blessings and more they get by simply saying Jesus is the Savior and the Lord. That's all that has to be done. They believe it in their heart and they say it with their mouth. And it says that that person will really never be disappointed. They'll never be put to shame. That person who believes in Jesus has a hope that's not going to fail them. As one theologian said, it's in a word, this heavenly doctrine that has the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, in which we have something that instructs us in our ignorance, sanctifies us in our corruptions, upholds us in our warfare, consoles us in our afflictions, and reassures us against all the fears of death. We will never be put to shame, Paul says. And not only will we not be put to shame, we will be richly, richly blessed. I love that phrase here. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. There is rich and tremendous blessing for all who call upon the Lord. The blessing of the law was to obedience, but God richly blesses all those who call upon him wherever they've been, whatever they've done, wherever you've been today, wherever you've gone in the past. And he says, the blessing is there for you. You just have to ask for it. You have to receive it. And even if you've been a Christian a long time, you feel like you've failed, you feel like you haven't walked in the way, you feel like you haven't done the right things, call upon the Lord. The blessing's there. It's waiting for you. He is ready to give it. The gospel is for you today, just as it was when you first came to Christ. But that's not the end of the story here. Because what Eric Parker learned many years later was that he had learned that he wasn't going to be worthy of heaven, but that Jesus was, and he got Jesus' worthiness as a free gift. And so he got to go into the presence of God and be with him forever. But he also felt compelled that other people need to know about that too. And he actually turned to this verse, and he said that it convicted him. He says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And so what he wanted to do is go into the ministry so he could devote himself full-time to that task. Now, not everybody's called to that. 
Um, there's a variety of tasks God calls us to do. And we shouldn't go into the ministry unless that's as a full-time vocation, unless God calls us to it. But all of us are called to confess with the mouth. And so being saved is believing in the heart, confessing with the mouth. And we see that that is salvation and mission are connected together. They're put together. And so we're all called to that way. And we need to all ask ourselves a question. We've learned this righteousness of faith. How will others know it if we don't tell them? Someone has to tell them about Christ. How can they call on him, the one who they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's clear as could be. God has to send them to tell about Christ, and that's what he's done. He has given us a commission. He has, a, he has for us a message that he wants to go out. We're not just proclaiming our idea of the righteousness of faith. This is God's idea, and he wants it to get out there. So they are sent. And he says, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Because it's bringing to people the thing that brings them salvation. And God has sent them to tell about Christ. All over the world. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Christ's name is being known more and more. He was saying in his day, it had gone to the Jews. Paul had seen it go out to the Gentiles. But in the past hundred years, we've seen it go to places that it has never gone before on a level that has never gone before. And there's people who are seeking to do that. They're sending missionaries from everywhere to tell uh, all over the world. People who once received missionaries are now sending missionaries by the thousands and thousands to go and tell others about Christ. This is what is happening according to what God's plan was for the world. God wanted it proclaimed, and he has made it happen. Now, some of the times, though, we see that there's communities where people haven't accepted it. They kind of know about it, but they haven't really received it. And that's what Paul was dealing with. So what should we do in that case? I think it's a powerful statement, what, what God says about himself in verse 21. He says, All day long I've held up my hands to a dis- disobedient and obstinate people. There they are. They've rejected it. They knew about it. They were planned for it. And what is God doing? Come. Come. And so we stand behind that. We don't write that off. I remember talking to one guy, and I talked about sharing the gospel with his neighbors. And he said, you know, I think God's kind of written off this country, so I'm really not going to do that. In essence, he said, I was like, okay. All day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. God didn't give up. We shouldn't give up. That's the message. And you know what? There's hope. If you had met the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian, you would have said, man, if there's any works righteous, zealous person opposed to Christ who will never accept Christ, it is the Apostle Paul. But the Lord broke through to him. And he became one of the greatest evangelists of Christ that the world has ever known. So there's hope. So let me encourage you today, just in conclusion, just to consider a few things. So how does the world change? Well, we see that the blessing that would bless the world is available. That was available to full obedience to the law is now available through Christ and all who call upon him. We have the means to bring the blessing 
on the world through the message that we have. And you can ask yourself that. Do I want that blessing? Do I want to receive it? All you got to do today is to call upon Christ. and It's richly available to you. Do you want others to, to change and experience that blessing? Well, the word about Christ delivered in love is the way. How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. So how do you make this happen? Well, the elders and I have talked about for a long time trying to help us make uh, evangelism an integral part of our life. And, and we've looked at a lot of things and, and we decided, you know, how about we just decide what are we going to do for the next four months that we're going to just talk about? And, and we're going to go back to, to this simple idea. Reach your one. You've got to start somewhere. So my challenge is for you to think of one person that needs to be connected to a church or needs to be brought to Christ and start praying for that person on a daily basis. Start reaching, reaching out to them, finding ways to reach out to them. If you don't know anybody like that, then start by actually getting out there and talking to people so you know someone like that, right? That's what, that's what you have to do. For me as a pastor, you know, sometimes I can get involved with the, with the church, you know, and it's like, and I forget, you know, it's like I also need to go beyond that. So I have to be very deliberate in getting out into the community. You know, um, why, do we, why did I change and say outreach first? Not because it is the first priority, though we probably could say that it is because that's what Jesus said when he left, like go into all the world and preach the gospel. But it's, that wasn't really the point. The point is simply this. We can do a lot of church stuff and forget that point so easily. It easily gets put on the back burner. So we're just going to remind ourselves to make sure we're adding it into the things we do as Christians. So this is the challenge. To take in this good news that's amazing. Let's also start thinking about who those who need it. And just start with one person. A lot of times you start with one, you start thinking of others. The list will get a little longer. That's fine. You can pray for more than one person. That is allowed. And you are permitted to do that. But start with at least one. Write that person down today. Start praying with them. Let's just say this for, from August through, um, through December. We're going to try that. And trust that the Lord will open up the doors. And we'll be able to share about the righteousness of faith. And we'll see God richly blessing as he has over and over again throughout this world. All those who call on him. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, we give you praise. That though we don't deserve it. Though our sins are great. Um, we are, you have given us a, an amazing gift, the righteousness of faith that comes because of what Christ has done. And that through him, we, all blessings are opened up to us. Help us, O oh Lord, to embrace that, to receive that, to let it inform us. And let us confess it with our mouth in a deliberate way by seeking to make known the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, help us to reach the people around us. Help us to be deliberate about that. Bring to our hearts prayer. Help us to use us in one another's lives to remind us of prayer and our need for our service to you and our and a glorifying of you. Oh Lord, we need your help in this. We know that our message is not going to be effective apart from your work. It is only by the Spirit that people say Jesus is Lord, but they need the message to be able to respond to that, and that's what you've called us to do. So let us take this message deeply into our hearts. Let it transform us. Let it change us. Let, us, let it renew us 
and let it send us forth. In Jesus' name.